Well, good morning, good morning, good morning, Discover Church. Man, it's so good to be in church. It's so good to have some energy. It's like it's warming up. We're thawing out of this winter, and it feels good, doesn't it? Man, oh man, it's so good to see you. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jernigan. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. I'm so glad that you are spending part of your Sunday morning with us. Hey, I want to give a quick shout out. I know that we've got, uh, we've had quite a, a few new faces and new families uh, that have been joining us over the last several weeks. And man, we're just so glad you're here. Come on, if you've been, if you've been around for a little while, would you let the folks that are, that are new to the family, let them know that you're glad that they're here. Hey, seriously, I want to piggyback on what Erica was saying. Man, Next Steps course is a great step for you to, to get connected with our church and allow us to get connected with you. And, uh, and also, listen, we've had, uh, I think, 12 people have made a decision for Christ in the last three weeks, which is amazing. And, and so here's the deal. If that's you, uh, man, baptism is your next step. What does that mean? Well, it, following Jesus is not complicated. Um, we oftentimes make it complicated. doesn't mean it's not that it's easy, but it's not complicated. It's one step of obedience at a time. And, uh, and baptism is, is, is the next step for you to just publicly proclaim what God has done internally. And so if you haven't signed up yet, make sure that you do that. We want to celebrate with you as a family. We're in a series that has been pretty amazing so far. God's been doing a, a pretty profound work. And the, and the series is called That Label Doesn't Fit Me Anymore. We've been learning about labels. We've been learning about how powerful labels are. We've been learning that labels can empower us or they can marginalize us. That labels are given to us uh, sometimes by people. Sometimes they're labels that we even give ourselves. But here's what we're learning. We're learning that the only labels that really matter are the labels that God gives to us. And amen with the three of us. I hear Michael Heater in the back and a couple other mumbles. But come on, we're learning that the only labels that matter are the labels that God gives us. There we go. There we go. Um, we are, uh, uh, we're looking at some labels that we have uh, the tendency to wear. And what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to help you do, is I'm trying to help you understand how God sees you so you can, you can begin to realize that, that that label just doesn't fit you anymore that there's a new label that God wants you to have that is much more comfortable. And today we're going to be talking about a label that connects to the culture that we're in, man. The, the, we live in a time that's just defined by so many labels. So many labels defines our culture, defines so much of what we see in the news, on social media, the way that we act, the way that we react, the way that we connect to people. And, and there's a label that is really prominent right now. Um, I don't know if you've heard of this. It's called cancel culture. Has anybody heard of it? Yeah. And uh, man, it's, it's such a powerful label. The, the idea of canceling someone's a really big deal. I mean, it, people are being canceled left and right um, for things they say, things they do. Uh, we've got some of the most famous names in the history of our country are being canceled at different places for different reasons. And my point today is not to stand up and make some big political statement and advocate for certain names or certain people. But what I want to do is I want to I help us see what's behind the veil. Because here's what happens in society. Society will present things like they're new, but the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. What we do as a society is we just repackage it and we relabel it and we think that we're really clever in the way that we talk about it. 
But what I want to do is I want to, I want to look beneath the surface of what's going on with this cancel culture and help us realize that it's rooted in, 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 a, in a label that is, is not new at all. Matter of fact, it's one of the oldest labels of time and, and as true with, with the, the entirety of this whole series, the title of my message today is the label that we are attacking today and it's the label condemned. It's the label condemned. When I was in college, I faced a situation when I was condemned. Anybody else feel a situation like that in college? College is proof. I used to be a middle school pastor for five years. I would tell, I, I, I would tell people that middle school is proof that God has a sense of humor and your early 20s is proof that God extends grace. And the five of y'all that are guilty just laughed right there. And the rest of y'all aren't sure if you can be honest in God's house today. And it's okay for us to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. Maybe at a level it's going to make somebody uncomfortable, but that's okay. Uh, I was in a situation where I was in college where I was condemned. Uh, I, uh, Jessica and I were dating. We were freshmen in, in college. Uh, and I was, uh, I was living, Jessica lived in Lee Summit. Uh, my dad and my stepmom lived in Kingsville, which, which is like halfway between Lee Summit and Warrensburg, but south of 50 Highway, to give you a little bit of perspective. And so I lived in Kingsville with my dad and my stepmom, and then I would commute to Warrensburg to go to school. And then about six days a week, I would go from Kingsville to Warrensburg to Lee Summit back home, because as I said previously, my girlfriend was in Lee Summit, Y'all, I was driving like a madman. I kid you not, I was having to change the oil in my car every six weeks. I was racking up, and baby, it was all worth it. I'd do it again, and do it again. My father-in-law comes to our church, his name's Frank, and he, he probably wished I wouldn't have done it so much, I don't know. Anyway, we, uh, I, had a, I had a midnight curfew, which might sound a little weird because I was in college, but uh, I, you know, I was living at dad's house. I played by dad's rules. I was fine with that. And by the way, uh, if you're a teenager, if you're a college student, if you're a young adult, I'm just going to tell you, ain't nothing godly happens after midnight. All right? I don't care what your good intentions are. Ain't nothing godly or holy or righteous happens after midnight. Um, especially when you were with somebody else. Maybe when you were by yourself and the Holy Spirit comes down in your prayer closet, maybe something holy comes after midnight, but by and large, um, uh, midnight is, is, is maybe a good rule of thumb for a lot of us. Anyway, my curfew was midnight and uh, Jessica and I had gone out on a date. It was a Friday night and, uh, and we had gone out on a date and uh, we got back from the date. I don't remember what we did, uh, but we, we, we ended on the front porch for a while. Now, I'm going to tell you, by God's grace, we both made it to our wedding night as virgins. And, and by the grace of God, I know that's a rare thing. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just telling you it's possible. So if you're a teenager, young adult, college student, it's possible. And I can tell you that the reward is worth the wait. But we made it to our wedding night as virgins, and uh, my father-in-law would be glad to know that. I'm pretty sure he knew that. <laughs> I tell you what, though, man, you would have thought we were freshmen in high school on that, on that front porch, though. <laughs> the only person not laughing right now is my father-in-law. 11 o'clock came and went, 11.30 came and went, midnight came and went, y'all, and we were still on that front porch. We were talking. 
12.30, 1 o'clock, 1.30, I said, girl, no means no. I got to go. And so I left at 1.30 and I'm on my way back and I'm flying, I'm driving like a bat out of you know what. And uh, I drove through Lake Lottawana. Uh, I'm sorry, Lake, Lake Winnebago. Some of y'all know about, yeah. Mm-hmm. 85 and a 55. Listen, y'all, the car, the police car was parked facing the opposite direction. And I came around the corner and I saw him and I just pulled over. I just pulled over. I, I mean, for real, like the lights hadn't even come on yet. It had the whole conversation. I'm thinking, great. This is my first ticket. Now, here's the deal. My dad bought my car. I had to pay the gas and the insurance and all the maintenance and all that stuff. And so the rule was, you get a ticket, you're paying for it. I'm like, fine. I didn't really ever speed until I was a victim So I got the ticket. I'm driving home. It's 2 o'clock, almost 2.30 in the morning, y'all, when I get home. And the whole way home, I'm trying to figure out, how am I going to play this? Am I going to hide it? Can't do that. Now, what you need to know about me is that for better or for worse, what you see is what you get. So I walked in the door, walked straight to my dad's bedroom. I dropped the ticket on the table, the kitchen table, walked straight to my dad's bedroom, knocked on the door. what, son? I said, hey, dad, it's me. It's 2.30. I just got home. The ticket's on the table. I'm going to bed. I'll see you tomorrow. I slept like a baby. I come to find out that my dad and stepmom did not. My dad woke me up early the next morning and said, let's go, son. We're going hunting. If you can run with the wolves at night, then you can learn to get up and fly with the eagles in the morning. And I remember thinking, wow, that's really good. Did he just make that up? <laughs> I mean, I'm running on about three hours of sleep, and so we go hunt, and we come back, and, and my, 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 uh, my stepmom is in the kitchen, and she's, she's cleaning things, and I can just tell by look on her face, she is flustered. She's disappointed, and she's folding, she's wiping wiping that spot like she's mad at it. She finally folds it up and she goes, I don't even know what to say. I just, I'm just shocked. This is so out of character for you, Journey. You just completely disregard us and disregard our rules and disregard our house. And and I'm like, you're right, I'm, I'm sorry. Were you with Jess? I said, yeah. What were you doing? Don't answer that, I don't wanna know. She picks a towel up again, and I tell she's measuring her words at this moment. She picks the towel up, she unfolds it, refolds it, unfolds it, refolds it, unfolds it, refolds it, and sets it back down. Are you even a, are you still a, are you still a, a virgin? Now listen, I had to laugh, y'all, because here's the deal, like, again, I'm thankful that God saved me at an early age. I didn't party. I never drank. I never did drugs. I never slept around. I didn't do any of that stuff. I mean, the worst thing I ever did uh, was I went kicking trash cans when I was like eight. 
okay? That, that's just, and, and I'm not mad about it. Some of y'all think, man, that's a sucky life. I'm thankful for it because I hadn't had to pay the price that a lot of people have had to pay. And I got friends that are still working through the consequences of decisions that they made when they were in college. So I'm not mad about it, but I'm just letting you know just kind of who I was and how I operated. And so I just laughed. I said, yes, Melissa, I'm still a virgin, okay? Chill. But I was guilty, y'all. I was guilty of sin, and I knew it, and I, I, was, I felt the condemnation from my, my dad and my stepmom. From the state of Missouri, I felt the condemnation. Got that speeding ticket. <laughs> now, you would think I would have learned my lesson, <clears throat> but I got two more tickets in the next five weeks. If you're, for those counting at home, that's three tickets in six weeks. I'm going to tell you what, $1,800 is a lot of money for a freshman in college, Shoot, $1,800 in six weeks, a lot of money now. See, here's the deal. I don't, I don't, I don't have to spend much time explaining what, what this label feels like when we wear it. This is the label that causes us to feel this overwhelming sense of, sense of guilt, overwhelming sense of shame. It's, it's the label that causes us to feel dirty and rotten and gross it's a label that, that sometimes we earn, sometimes it's a label that we don't earn, sometimes it's a label that other people gives us, and sometimes it's a label that we give ourselves, but it's not, an, it's not a new label. Matter of fact, it's one of the oldest labels that exists. In Jesus's day, they would use this label, and they would toss it around in all kinds of different ways. They would refer to people by names, and by those names, they are associating condemnation. We read in the Bible that groups of people are referred to as sinners, the only people worse than sinners are tax collectors. And the worst, the worst uh, 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 label that you could give a Jewish person was to call them a Samaritan. And we have to know is that Jews and Samaritans were like next door neighbors. They didn't like each other, kind of like MU and KU people. All right? You call somebody, you call someone wearing, you know, black and gold, a Jayhawk, you're liable to get throat punched. That or they'll just reply back, well, at least I ain't a chicken hawk. <laughs> right, so for a Jew to be called a Samaritan, man, it was a label, and immediately what came with it was this assumption of condemnation. Matter of fact, their culture of condemnation was so intense that they assumed that if somebody was born with a physical ailment or deformity, they just assumed that that person was born condemned. Matter of fact, in John chapter 9, we read about a, a story where a guy was born blind, and, and, and Jesus heals his sight, and they're trying to figure out what to do with this guy, and they're, they're wanting to know who, who sinned. Obviously, Obviously, this guy didn't sin because he was born this way, so he, he, couldn't, have, he couldn't have done anything to, to require or cause that level of condemnation of being born blind. And so they asked the question, hey, Jesus, who, who sinned, his mama or his daddy? Because somebody did something, and I got to know who to condemn for what's going on. That's, that's just how intense the culture was back in the day. But what I want you to see, and you don't, you don't need me to tell you this, but we're also quick to condemn people today. We have a tendency of condemning people by, by naming them or associating them or labeling them by the worst thing they ever did, which by the way is the root of the cancel culture. The problem is, is that for a lot of us, the issue is not so much them 
labeling me by the worst thing that I ever did because most of them don't know the worst thing that I ever did. The problem with most of us today is that we walk around self-labeling ourselves as condemned because we know what the worst thing is that we've done and we walk around wearing this label condemned and associating ourselves that we are the worst thing that we've ever done. I feel like I need to clarify because if not, someone might feel the need to cancel me. So let me just say, listen, wrong is wrong. Crime is crime. And, and, and there are some things the statute of limitations should never be, never be up on. All right. You, 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 you do the crime. You should, you should do the time and everything that's associated with that. So I'm not, I'm not, you know, just disclaimer. What's heartbreaking to me is that perhaps some of the most prevalent cancel culture people in our country today are Christians. That sometimes we Christians have a tendency to be so quick to condemn people, so quick to label people, so quick to associate somebody by the worst thing that they ever did. And we wonder sometimes why people don't have any interest in Jesus. And sometimes I tell people, listen, Jesus is not the problem. We, we, I'm the problem. We, we, we are the problem sometimes. We do a really good job of painting a bad picture of who Jesus really is. It's like sometimes we forget what 1 Corinthians tells us. 1 Corinthians 13, it's, Paul says, though I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal, right? It's, it's just, if, if Cole would have left me his drumsticks, I would have just bang, bang, bang. That's what it sounds like when you open your mouth with all of your giftings, but you don't have love, bang, bang, bang. That's what you sound like to the world around you. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but I have not love, I'm nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. It's that we're so quick to forget what Jesus said himself in John 3, 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. Listen, here's my point bringing this up as a little side tangent to this whole message is that, listen, I understand that as followers of Jesus, um, we need to stand for truth. Matter of fact, there are some people that are in the room that are listening to me today. You need to understand that as a follower of Jesus, the expectation is that you stand for truth and you don't blur the lines between right and wrong, that we live lives of conviction and purity and chastity, that people know by the way that we live, by the way that our lives are changed, by the lines that we draw, not necessarily of the expectation that we hold others to, but the expectation that we hold ourselves to that we should stand for truth. But we also need to understand that the job of standing for truth is not proclaiming truth in a condemning way because when you do that, you are doing it absence of love and you are a sounding brass and a clanging cymbal. Truth of God's word is not intended to be a tool for you to stand on your high horse and proclaim with your megaphone how terrible everyone else is. Truth is so that you can measure your own life against it and realize how terrible you are and how desperately you need a savior to help you live according to the truth. 
And once you begin to realize, oh snap, I am really jacked up, messed up, busted and broken. I need Jesus to help me. And he extends his grace. You begin to understand what it means to experience and declare truth with grace. Jesus didn't condemn the world, so why do we? Honestly, in our culture, it's no wonder why people don't want to have anything to do with the church. It's no wonder why people don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. And frankly, it's no wonder why, let's remove from just the, the churchy context in the world in general, why so many people walk around with this dark cloud of condemnation weighing over them every day. I believe that it's a label that's intended by Satan to muzzle potential and to stamp out purpose. Because the easiest way to muzzle potential and stamp out purpose is when it is still under development. Because once that potential and purpose has been developed, then it's just like open the door and let the lion defend itself. But when it's still in process, when you're still in the journey, then that condemnation will come and it will try to stamp out that seed of potential. It will try to kill what God has put in you that is developing into something that can change the world. And so I believe this is a label that the enemy uses to condemn us. What happens when we live in this culture of condemnation? Well, you know what happens. We live, we live these secret, isolated lives where people keep their distance from others. And at times the feeling of condemnation is so strong that we erect barriers with, with our busy schedules and our fabricated excuses. And when those don't work, we put on our, our masks that we hope will just be bulletproof from the looks and the glances that we just assume are loaded with condemnation from those that we're gonna be walking around. And all of it creates an incubator effect where we are so protected from the outside world, but we have little to no valuable human interaction that God designed us and created us to need. No one sees who we really are. But under the mask and behind the barricade stands frail souls that are emaciated from the lack of human connection, human interaction, the ability to be known and seen and loved. And the result is, is that so many of us have little. We risk little, we experience little, and we enjoy little. This is where condemnation leads us. This is the byproduct of the condemnation culture, but this is not what God wants for us. Here's what's true. Without Christ, we're all guilty. Romans 3 says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Without Christ, this is where we are. We've all sinned. This is true of all of us. And without Christ, we would stand the judgment. We would stand the condemnation. And here's the condemnation that happens apart from Christ. Romans 6, 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. This is the condemnation. This is the byproduct of being guilty, of being busted, of knowing that, 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 that this is how we live and this is who we are. And apart from Christ, we have no other option than to live with the label of condemnation. But those who are in Christ, you need to understand today that if you are in Christ, that you don't have to live under that label. That that label doesn't fit you anymore. That God has broken you out of that mold and broken you out of that label and wants to give you something new. I want you to see what Romans 8 says. Romans 8 verse 1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. This is a definitive statement, period. End of sentence, close the book, in the chapter, in Christ, there is no condemnation, done. Conversation over, there's nothing more to talk about. 
This is the power of Christ. This is what Jesus does when, he, when we receive him and we accept his death, his burial, and his resurrection as the payment, as forgiveness for our sins. You say, okay, well, that doesn't really help me very much. I mean, it's great that Jesus doesn't condemn me, but it doesn't really help me much from, from what they say. It doesn't help me much from, from how I feel about when, when, when I come across those people who look at me with those glances. And some of you are thinking, yeah, I'm not in that category, man. I, I, I ain't worried about what they say because they don't know. But I do. I see the fraud in the mirror every day when I'm getting ready. And I put the mask on and I put the barriers up when I go out into the world and I put my, my smiling face on when I come into church today. Everything, how you doing? Oh, I'm so blessed abundantly. So good. He is risen. He's risen indeed. Yeah. Some of y'all feeling that right now. You're going to get in the car with your, with, with your spouse, with your kids. Hope you learned something today. That one was for you. Somebody in the back seat's going, pot, meat, kettle. Can I just, can I just tell you something as your pastor? I, 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 get, I get this, the, the weight of the self-condemnation. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's a, there's a certain amount of moral um, responsibility that's required to do this job that I do. The Bible demands it. And most people expect it. Um, I mean, I could be wrong, but I would assume that if I were to tell you that I'm, you know, listed all kinds of terrible, awful things that you might associate as terrible and awful and said, yeah, that was, that's a Tuesday for me. Um, and now I'm here on a Sunday ready to preach at you because, you know, God ain't doing nothing in me. I'm just going to preach at you. You see, there's a certain amount of moral responsibility that comes with the job. But the problem that I have so often is I recognize I'm just a man. I am a sinful person just like you are. I know who I am. Y'all don't know that at times I can be a terrible husband, but I know and my wife knows. Y'all don't know. I don't know if that was somebody in her small group or. I mean, listen, we get real in small groups, amen? Woo! Y'all don't know when I'm a terrible dad, but my kids do. Listen, I'm a man just like every other man, and I'm, I'm attracted to the, to the woman, the, the female figure, and I struggle just like every other man does with allowing my thoughts, if I'm not careful, to drift to things that I shouldn't be thinking about. I've been open and honest about my past and my struggles with pornography, and I don't do that to glorify the sin. I do that to just let you know I ain't perfect. I got issues. So my issue is, is that I, I get this self-condemnation because I'm supposed to be the dude that stands on the stage that holds the word of God, that is proclaiming and standing in the gap for him to speak a message to you. And God requires, and most people expect a moral responsibility, but I'm just a man. And I get that self-condemnation. 
The feeling of, man, I'm not worthy. Who am I? If people knew who I really was, if people knew what I struggled with, if people knew what I was thinking all the time, wouldn't nobody want me to be their pastor? So I get it. But it doesn't make the label fit any better. My hope as your pastor, I hope you never leave here impressed with me. Why do I tell you about some of my shortcomings and my flaws? Because I don't ever want you to leave here impressed with me. (laughs) Because there's nothing impressive about me. I want you to leave here thinking, man, if God can do that with him, I'm way better than he is. I can't even imagine, God, what you could do with me. See, I want you leaving here impressed with Jesus. There's a lot of people who like to pretend that they're impressive, but come on. Jesus is the only one who really is very impressive at all. What's amazing, when you read the Bible, it gets even better. I'm gonna string together a couple of verses for you at the end of Romans chapter eight. Um, verse 34 says, who is he who condemns? Another verse says, who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies, meaning, meaning you don't justify yourself. You don't make things right. They don't make things right. God's the one that does it. Elsewhere, it says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? In in other words, what this is saying, in the highest tribunal in the land, which is the courtroom of God, All of our sin and all of our shortcomings and all of our failures have been laid bare before God. And by the way, you can't hide it from him because he sees it and knows it. Unlike your kids who sometimes might be able to hide things from you, we can't hide anything from God. And what God is saying is that in his tribunal, if you claim the name of Jesus, then Jesus has stood in the place and said, listen, I know that they deserve to be guilty, but I got that. And in the highest tribunal of the land, God the just looks and says, well, then I don't condemn you. And if he doesn't condemn you, then why should anybody else's opinion matter? We are so quick to forget. We get so caught up in our our social media comparative world and society. We're constantly measuring ourselves against other people that we forget that none of their opinions matter. The Joneses don't matter. We don't have to keep trying to keep up with them. God's opinion is the only one that matters. We keep reading in Romans 8, it says, uh, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. All right, so there is now therefore no condemnation to those who uh, do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Meaning, if you are a follower of Jesus, then you now no longer walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Meaning these, these, these broad principles that by grace, you've received the grace of Jesus. And so now you're capable of walking in the spirit of God, which means because you have that access, you are not condemned. Then he says this, verse two, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ, all right, so so this is salvation. The law of the spirit of salvation has made us free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death is what brings condemnation. So your salvation is what makes it possible for you to not have to worry about the, the law of condemnation. You've been set free from it. 
Verse three, for what the law could not do, that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This is what this is saying. God had every reason and every right to look at you and condemn you because of the law of sin. But in the craziest twist of fate, despite what you deserved, Jesus shows up onto the scene and says, I don't condemn you. I condemn sin. Or in other words, he says, even though I had every reason to cancel you, I won't cancel you. I'm going to cancel your sin. When I got my speeding tickets, I had to pay a steep price for what I was guilty of. The way that I handled it, and some people have an issue with this, and you know, that's not what the message is about, but some people are gonna have an issue with it, and it is what it is. But I, 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 I contacted an attorney. I said, listen, I got these three tickets. I called him after the second one, actually. And then a week later, I called him with the third one. I didn't get a group on and there's no punch card. So I called my attorney and I said, uh, uh, I'm told uh, that there's something that I can do um, to pay the penalty for the ticket for, for the law that I broke, but not have it on my record. And he goes, yeah. And he explained the process. Well, you know, I'll go and I'll, I'll try to figure it out. And so, so basically what he did was, is I, I, I paid him a price and, 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 and he stood as my advocate before the judge and my number was called and the prosecutor came up and said, case number, da, 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 da. This is the issue. So-and-so, uh, uh, you know, was speeding, da, 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 Right, and so so he basically listed what what the charge was against me, and my lawyer stood as my advocate, and he says, "Your Honor, I'm here on behalf of of, of the plaintiff uh, or the accused, and and um, I, 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 we've worked out a plea deal, and uh, and he's going to uh, pay the fine uh, at a higher level, at an increased rate, and so that it won't uh, hit his permanent record." And the judge goes, "Fine, case settled, it's done." And so I paid a, a higher fee than just what the speeding ticket was. And then I paid the lawyer fee. Like I said earlier, it was 1800 bucks for me to, uh, to cover the issue on, on all of this. And so what it meant was, is that my offense, uh, I was guilty, but my offense was canceled and my record was clean. And what Jesus did on the cross for us is he stood as our advocate when the prosecutor, the devil, comes and says, oh, oh, yeah, he's an adulterer and he's a pornographer, or she's a gossip and, 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 and they're lazy and, 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 and they got drunk and they got high and they killed somebody or, or they lied and cheated and stole. Here's, here's the, or they're just a terrible person and a bad friend. They're a bad mom. They're, they're a terrible husband, right? And, and so they, they listed the offense before God Almighty. And what happens on the, when, what Jesus did on the cross, when you accept his grace and forgiveness, what it means is, is that Jesus shows up and says, hey, God, uh, judge, uh, dad, huh. I'm standing as the advocate for them. 
And I'm letting you know that I know that that guy, that preacher man, uh, I know that, that at times he's a terrible husband. I know that at times he's a terrible father. I know that at times he, he thinks about things he shouldn't be thinking about. And I know that he deserves to be guilty, but I'm standing at his advocate and I'm letting you know I've already paid the price and the penalty for the sin. So convict me, don't convict him. You see, a lot of us, I think, understand that on the concept of salvation, but I don't think that we understand that when it comes to the way that we live. Because we may know that here, but the things that we think and the way that we feel, we don't allow that truth to sink down deeper into our soul to change the way that we view things. You say, I feel condemned as lovingly as I possibly can. Let me just tell you, it doesn't matter if you feel condemned. What matters is what God says. It doesn't matter if they condemn you. It doesn't matter if you condemn yourself. Here's the only condemnation that matters, that Jesus has condemned what condemned you so that you no longer have to live in condemnation. This is what matters. Everything that stood against you, every bit of ammunition, everything that people hold against you to condemn you, Jesus says, I, yeah, okay, I hear you. I'm just letting you know what, what they're using to condemn you. I condemn that. In some ways, it's almost like, like elementary school. Well, well, you know, I'm rubber and you're glue. Whoever bounced off me sticks to you. It sounds silly, but that's the way, that, that, in a much more significant way, what Jesus is saying is, is I have everything they're using to condemn you, I've, I've, I've done condemned it so that you don't have to live condemned. In Christ, you do not have to wear this label of condemned. In Christ, you can understand that that label, it doesn't fit you anymore, so stop trying to wear it. It's itchy, it's uncomfortable. It makes you feel dirty and gross. That, that label will make you think, because I said that thing to my child, I'm a terrible parent. And you will carry that label as a terrible parent. And that label will influence decisions that you will make in the future when it comes to your role as a parent. Oh, you see, I stepped out on my spouse. And I feel all the condemnation and the guilt and the shame from that. I deserve it. I earned it. I did it. I don't deserve to have a good marriage. Or you see, I lied and I, or I cheated or I stole. I did the thing or said the thing and, 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 and my character took a hit. My integrity took a hit. Yeah, see, I, I deserve those glances. I deserve those looks. And what happens is, is these things become self-fulfilling prophecies and we begin to believe that we're not, we're not worthy of anything other than condemnation. That that feeling of guilt and shame is just inevitable. And that you're just going to have to live in it for the rest of your life. And that feeling of being dirty 
and gross and rotten. You see what I'm trying to tell you today? Is that when you can, be, when you can understand the power of forgiveness, this is your new label, by the way, forgiven. When you understand the power of forgiveness, then you can finally be honest and admit that you're on a journey. And when people want to come with condemnation in Christ, here's what you can say. You know what? (laughs) Yeah, I used to do some busted stuff, but I'm not who I used to be. And I'm not who I'm going to be. I'm on a journey. And I'm not condemned anymore, and I don't have to wear this label anymore. This old, this old thing, that, you know, it just doesn't fit, so I can take it off, and I can wear the new label that God has given me that is forgiven. And I can learn to be comfortable in that. And I can learn to realize that there is grace for my shortcomings and my failures, and there's consequences when I step out of line. But that's not condemnation. By the power of the gospel of Jesus, you can realize that you can live in the reality of the future that Jesus has already secured for you, that you are forgiven and that you are free. And what that means is, is that even though that your history may be dirty, in Christ, your record is clean. What God so desperately wants for you today is to grow comfortable in this label of forgiven. Here's, here's, here's the deal, one word of caution. Sometimes we can get so comfortable in this label of forgiven that we use it as a right to do what we want, how we want, when we want. But the Bible tells us to be careful that we, we shouldn't continue in sin that grace may abound, that grace that makes it possible for you to wear this label of forgiven. You may be forgiven, but in Christ, God loves you and he's gonna discipline you and he's going to chasten you as his child. He will never cancel you because of what you do, but he will bring consequences. And they're gonna hurt, they're supposed to. Because it's God's love saying, I don't want you to continue to walk in that old way under that old label. I want you to understand the new label. So I will bring something in a moment that might hurt a minute, ow, so that you don't end up in a situation where you are harmed and debilitated by something. Don't abuse this grace, but enjoy it. Enjoy this grace and get comfortable wearing this label of forgiven. It has the power to move you from darkness, dread, and misery, a life of isolation and loneliness, from the feeling of being dirty and rotten. And it can move you to a life of peace and freedom and joy, a life where you can be truly seen and known and loved, a life where you can feel clean and feel free to move forward. Why? Because Jesus has condemned what condemned you so that you can live no more in condemnation.